Thank you for listening to this week's podcast from the Horsham Church of Christ. For more information, please visit our website at www.horsham.org.au. Um, right now, um, Jared's going to interview and introduce us to Margaret Papoff. Margaret Papoff has been one of our partners for a long period of time, has served uh, over in Africa um, and has a great story of faithfulness, great ministry. Uh, I'd, would you welcome uh, Margaret and Jared as they come now? Hello, Margaret. Hi. How are you? I'm good. I'm well. This is very exciting. This has been a long time coming. Yes, it has been a long time coming. We did, we did plan for March, and then we said July would be better. So this is a form of closure. <laughs> yep. Maybe temporarily, but a form of closure <laughs> for this season of life, yeah? Yes, it yeah. is. Yeah. So for those that don't know you, and yeah. this might be the first time they're seeing you and hearing you, could you just briefly introduce yourself? Sure. Um, so I was... Um, Born in Eastern Europe, my family background is from Slovakia. My parents migrated to Australia when I was two years old and I was raised in Melbourne. I was raised in a Christian home. Um, Gave my life to the Lord when I was six years old. Um, And yeah, when I was eight, God spoke to me again in a very significant way. Um, He... I really heard him calling me into missions um, and that, that happened in a church service, our, our, the service that or the church that our family attended had evening services as well and then the last Sunday of every month was the mission Sunday. There was always a missionary coming to speak and that was my all-time favourite service because I got to hear the most amazing stories and to meet some really incredible Christians who just shone and I was very attracted to their faith. And um, so this particular Sunday when I was about eight, um, there was a, a young lady. She was a nurse. She was nursing somewhere in Africa and to this day I do not know her name. I don't even remember what country she went to. But at one point in the service when she was showing her slides and sharing, I noticed I was literally sitting on the very edge of the pew, just leaning forward, absorbing it all. And from early, I don't even know when it started, but I've always known that I would be a nurse. And so clearly that was some attraction. And anyway, as she wound up her, her, um, her presentation, um, she asked the church to stop and to pray that God would raise up someone amongst us to go out to cross-cultural missions. And then she challenged every individual in that room and she said, and now I want you to ask the Lord if that person is to be you. Mm. And I prayed that prayer. Wow. And after I prayed it, I'm getting all teary. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, there was just, it wasn't an audible voice that I heard, but there was a very clear, deep conviction mm. in my soul. You know, it was almost as if I heard God saying, that's you, Margaret. I want you to go out as a missionary for me. So, wow. Yeah. At the age of eight. Yeah. Yeah. And so 
that lined up with your desire to be a nurse as well? Like you didn't see yeah, those the, as the two, I think that's why I was drawn to this missionary up the front mm. that Sunday because she was both a missionary and she was a nurse and I just felt as though my soul resonated mm. with hers. Yeah, yeah, beautiful. Wow, that, that's amazing. I haven't heard that story before, so um, it's, it's exciting to be able to, uh, to hear that and hear the challenge that you received. Uh, and, to, and I think we, we talk often about how do we actually hear from God, and often we want you know, the loud voice and the clouds parting and the dove descending, and then we know for certain it's God, but sometimes it's not. It's just that conviction deep within your spirit that says, this is what I want you to do. Yeah. Yeah, that's a big deal. And it's never gone away. That's the other interesting okay. thing. Even through my rebellious years, it's, it never went away. I can't imagine you having rebellious years, oh, Margie. Yeah. We'll, we'll save that for another conversation. And another one. <laughs> uh, so can you tell us where you have served in your time? Yeah, so um, the first um, ministry field that I went to was in Kenya. Um, I served there for three years across two different terms and um, after Kenya it was Mozambique for two years and after Mozambique it was Tanzania for four years and then most recently South Sudan for two years. How did you become connected with the Horsham Church of Christ? Okay, so when I finished nursing... Um, in 1989, mm-hmm. I needed to do a graduate graduate nurse program, and um, I applied various places. And Horsham replied. I mean, other places did too, but they wanted like an immediate start, and I wasn't ready for an immediate. Like, as in, you have to be there on Monday, and this is wow. Friday, 5 p.m. Wow. Yep. <laughs> so. Um, yeah, so Horsham, I came here and I started attending the Horsham Church of Christ, but it was the old building. Yep. Um, and yeah, it just became family. I met the kitchens and they've been like my second parents almost there. It's just been incredibly hospitable. The whole, you, you all, I know some of your faces and I don't know many of your faces, mm. but in my heart, you like my church family. So mm. yeah. Very special to me. Thank you. Yeah. Likewise, you're special to us. And you might be wondering, you've seen our missions wall and you might think, I haven't seen Margaret's face or name on the mission wall. What's the go? Uh, That's because Margaret actually finished up serving in missions um, at the time that we're putting that wall together. So that's why Margaret didn't make that one. But we're talking about having an alumni missions wall and then we could put your face at the top of that. That'd be good, wouldn't it? Um, what led you to return home? Yeah. South Sudan was the most recent that you said? It was, yep. yeah. So before I went to South Sudan, um, I was noticing that my parents, who are both still alive and living independently in their own home, um, they're in their mid-80s, where I was noticing that they were really slowing down. And um, Dad's memory's not brilliant. He hasn't mm. been diagnosed with dementia. They've tested, but he's... His brain just stops working every once in a while. And so I, I realised that, you know, I, I have committed to um, caring for them, to, you know, allowing them to remain in their own home for as long as is possible. So I realised those days were 
drawing closer. So we we had a conversation, my parents and I. I I mentioned that I sensed God calling me to South Sudan and I said, how do you feel about that? It would be a two-year term and um, I think they were quiet for a little while. Mm-hmm. And then, and then they said, "If God's calling you, you go." Mm. But I realised then, I think that it was, you know, it, those two years quite possibly would be my last two years until the until the Lord calls from home. Mm. Um, so yeah, so I I came home just to be closer to them. I am living in their home at the moment. Yeah. Rent's too expensive in Melbourne. <laughs> Um, so for now I'm, I'm there and, um, just keeping an eye on them, just my brother and I kind of fill in the gaps for them that they're not able to do anymore. Did that make, where your parents were at in terms of age and health, did that make you wrestle with the call to South Sudan more than you would have otherwise, do you think? Um, it, a little bit, (laughs) yes, a little bit, but. And, you know, and that's why we had the conversation. Um, I was open to hearing what they had to say. Mm. And, um, yeah, so I was really grateful that, you know, they released me, so to speak, to to, to go without this fear of, you know, them without their approval or, you know, with a reticence on their Mm. part. Yeah. Beautiful. I can't read that on the back screen. Says it is hard to learn that people cannot be hustled into the kingdom of God, and it is well to remember Christ's own descriptions of that kingdom: yeast and seal, seed, things that grow slowly and out of sight. Elizabeth Elliot. Wow. Um, Elizabeth Elliot. Uh, she was the wife of Jim Elliot, who was a missionary. I can never remember the people that he was a missionary to, but uh, he went. The- Alka Indians in South America. Yeah, and so he, I don't know if you know the story of Jim and Elizabeth, but Jim went to minister to this uh, group and they killed him. Him and four other male missionaries who were trying to um, make contact with the Alkas to share the gospel with them. And then Elizabeth. She returned. She returned to the people group. and she did. One of the other things that Elizabeth says is... um, Uh, something along the lines of don't, don't pull up the seed that you planted in faith in a time of doubt. Mm. And that commitment to actually serve when things go well and things don't go well. Yeah. Um, and responding, remembering that call that is on our lives, whether we get it when we're eight, 18 or 80, yeah. to actually never waver from that call, no matter what we might face. Yeah. Um, what were some of the challenges that you faced, particularly in South Sudan? It's been a trying few years in some regards. Yeah, it was. It um, was definitely not the easiest term on the field. Um, I've kind of broken them down into different categories. So, you know, there were there were the physical challenges of just being really remote in a place that... Um, was really hard to get to, you know, by plane mostly because the road was treacherous and cliff edge and really unsafe. Um, There was um, pumping, hauling water every day from the pump. It was a cold place. There was no heating. Um, We had to grow all our own vegetables um, because there was just a very limited amount and we didn't you know, want to take from their harvests. So, um, yeah, those were the physical 
barriers, um, challenges. Scabies was another one that was an issue for me. I, I reckon there's probably about 90% of the population have scabies there. And, you know, when you see a child or when you, you're walking through the village and a child notices you and starts running towards you with their arms wide open, looking for a hug. I just didn't have the heart to not hug them, even though I knew they were riddled with scabies. So I lived with scabies. I treated myself about 10 times for scabies. <laughs> that was, But you don't want scabies, trust me. <laughs> Thank you for the tip. I'll uh, take, take your advice. The itching drives you insane at night. <laughs> wow. So, um, you know, there were those physical ones. I also tore my ACL. So then walking downhill for me after I'd had it repaired was um, a, a difficulty. Um, I didn't, I wasn't able to walk as much as I would have normally hiked and walked. But that was, you know, that was okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, emotionally, I guess there was the isolation. Mm. Um, but I think... The, the most difficult emotional mental challenge of South Sudan was um, the team conflict that we wow. experienced. It was, um, you know how you might meet a stranger and you just seem to click naturally. Mm. You just connect with them and you seem to understand what they're saying. It doesn't take a lot for effective communication to help um, to occur with this person. And then there's people that you meet that you don't really click with. You know, there's just something that doesn't naturally fit. You don't naturally understand where they're coming from or, um, you know, you, you don't necessarily understand what they're trying to mm. communicate. Sadly, our team was of the latter variety and we we struggled. We, we There was a lot of misunderstanding. We, we struggled to learn how to love each other the way each one needed to be loved. The one thing we were united on was our ministry and how to go about it. And we worked well together in that but in the relational part of it it was really really quite a challenge um and it got me quite down at times and um you know the thing that got me through was I've shared with a life group was the book of Jeremiah was reading about the life of Jeremiah you know he went to a people group who oh, he his own people Israel but um he was telling them to repent because God was telling them to repent. And they just completely ignored him. You know, they, they did lots of other things to him, not just ignored him. But um, so, you know, we as a team understood what it felt like to be um, rejected, to have the gospel rejected because the Didinga really weren't interested in the gospel. They were only interested in material things. Um, so that was the challenge to, you know, to just keep sharing the gospel, just keep building relationships, just keep loving the way the Lord wanted us to love them. And um, so on that, the side of, you know, um, ministry, we worked well together. But I think we really struggled to connect and to love each other well um, through that time but yeah 
So Jeremiah taught me to just cling to the Lord. And what I discovered was um, that when I worshipped, when I just put aside, you know, all the wounds that I felt had been inflicted on me through my team members, um, if I just put them aside and focused on Jesus and worshipped, I learnt that singing songs and worship, he just does something through his spirit. He, he changes your mind's perspective. And that's how I regained my joy, you know, when I was emotionally just going down the gurgler. Um, and, um, and, yeah, and I realised I just needed to keep so close to the Lord, just kept my quiet times, you know, made them a priority every day and, you know, and kept short accounts, not only me and the Lord, but with my team members, um, just to try and keep the unity of the Spirit of God flowing, even in the midst of this um, lack of connection. Um, it's possible, even though it's hard and it's painful. And I learned to love in a way I think I didn't know how to love before. It's, it's really God's love, that sacrificial love where you decide that the other person is more important than you, that you are going to meet their needs above your own needs. So that was a really hard lesson. But I'm glad I, you know, I'm glad the Lord took me there. I questioned whether it was the right place to be because, you know, those thoughts come to you when you're, when you're down and struggling. Um, but the thing, the thing that kept me going was the, the reminder that God knew each one of us before he sent us. He knew we were not going to be a team that would connect and just thrive. This is the only team in all of my experiences in ministry that did not connect. Every other team was, you know, just fabulous. And this was the only team that didn't. And God knew that. And he deliberately sent, strategically he sent every single one of us to that place to work together as a team. And I remembered that. And so I thought, let me not be the person that causes disunity. And um, yeah, and the Lord brought us through and he, he brought healing. He's still doing healing work, but he is healing even now. Yeah. Oh, okay, more. Um, Sorry, like, yeah, feel free to go on. I'm just, I'm amazed and I, and I think, I don't know about others, I'll speak for myself. Often it, it can be, um, we think of the challenges of particularly cross-cultural overseas mission work and we think that the biggest challenge and maybe it is still the biggest challenge is sharing the gospel with those who have not yet heard it or received it. Yet, that might be one of the challenges, but it's not necessarily the biggest challenge. The biggest challenge is, how do I stay physically healthy while I'm getting hugs from kids with scabies? How do I actually work with the team when there's a lack of unity, mm. a lack of connection, a lack of trust, a lack of love? Yeah, um, mission statistics um, have clearly, you know, reflected that the the main reason that missionaries return from the field wounded is not because of um, miscommunication with the host 
um, culture that you're going to share Christ with, it's because of interpersonal relationships and conflict in teams on the field. And these are your own people, you know, people from your own worldview, your own culture, people that you would normally connect with. But yeah, mission statistics show that they're the reasons that a lot of missionaries return home wounded and don't ever go back. Yeah, I think it's, it's my mind's kind of spinning and I'm thinking about Damien and Hannah, Tanner that we've just, they're not over there, that's where they sat. <laughs> and forever, that's where, that, that's their spot. It's terrible, isn't it? Um, and Addie and Liam, um, and we've just uh, commissioned them and sent them there on their way, slowly but surely, to France to learn French so they can learn Creole so they can serve um, in the Indian Ocean Islands. Um, and some of that that we've learnt over, particularly over the last 100 years of cross-cultural ministry um, and some of the pain and heartache that comes from serving on the missions field and the work that needs to be done to care for our missionaries. Um, yeah, I've got questions. Where did you had something else oh, that you wanted to... Okay, so there's, I've broken them down. So spiritually, the, the greatest challenge was, I think that when we came in, we expected that there was a church that we would just come alongside the believers and help them reach their own a bit more. But there actually wasn't a thriving church. It was just a church of children. Um, there were issues in the church previously and so there was no pastor. There was just a young man, Lokulung, who um, was leading the, the youth. Um, and then COVID hit and churches and schools and everything shut down. So we had to rethink how we were going to reach the people because we couldn't meet on Sundays anymore. So that's when the story in groups um, started up. You know, it's um, a series of stories from Genesis to the ascension of Jesus Christ that, are, that map out the gospel, but they're biblical stories. And um, so, you know, we learnt them and we had these groups that we would visit on Sundays in their compounds. You saw some photos of them. Um, so that was the way we shared the gospel. And a few did make a decision for the Lord. But um, I think the, the struggle for me was there was just this lack of drive or desire for discipleship afterward. You know, we they would agree to meet for Bible study and... and um, and discipleship on particular days and you know and they just repeatedly didn't show up there was just this lack of passion to want to grow for Christ um so it was like just you know like hitting your head against a brick wall and and knowing God sent you here he's going to use it somehow um yeah that's what you have to keep at the forefront of your mind isn't it in any response in serving Christ, it's I can't see what I want to see in this moment. But if I'm fully submitted to him and his good and pleasing and perfect will, then I have to trust and believe yeah. that the work that I'm doing, the work that you're, you've done, that you're doing, yeah. is actually laying a foundation or building upon a foundation that somebody else will come upon later yeah. on. Yeah, trusting that in God's economy he wastes nothing mm. that you've given to him, you know, that you've offered to him. Mm. Yeah. Uh, as an aside, like COVID wasn't, COVID was an extra measure of difficulty for you because if COVID made it to the village, 
as the white people in the village, it was your fault. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Yeah, they believed that, um, you know, the Didinga have been in those mountains for, you know, hundreds of years probably. And so they've been there. So they're not bringing COVID in, but it's you white people, you're foreigners. Excuse me. And so, you know, you're the foreigners. You're the ones who will bring it in. You know, we were stuck on the mountain because they wouldn't let us leave or bring visitors in or even bring supplies in. And they were going down the mountain, mixing with people who had been all over the country and then coming back. And Mm. yeah, so they didn't quite get that. (laughs) An extra layer of challenge. Yeah, it was. Mm. Yeah. Um, Yeah, so um, I did want to share a story with you about the Didinga, you know, um, 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 they're a a people group of about 16,000, so about 6,000 of them live in the mountains that that we were, and then about 10,000 are are sort of more on the lower lands, on, on the plateau, but they were a much, much bigger group before that and um it you know they had this this um argument this massive argument over gazelle soup and that caused the people group to separate over what gazelle soup as in like wild animal soup yeah so so a group of men went out hunting one day didinga men went out hunting and they stopped under a tree by a creek and decided to split up to increase their chances of catching some food, killing food. And so half went one way, half went the other way. Several hours later, they they met back and the one half had only killed a very small baby gazelle and the other half had caught nothing. And so they were going to cook it up, but you know, they realised it wasn't enough for all of them. So the group that killed the gazelle said, we'll stay and we'll cook it up and you guys go back out and try and find some more food. Mm. So they did. Hours later, the second group came back and they still hadn't found anything. So, you know, they asked for some food and the other group had completely finished off the gazelle soup that they had cooked And so there was this massive altercation between them. And it was so serious that the group that didn't catch, that missed out on gazelle soup, literally took off their their necklaces, their beads that identifies them as Tadinga, and they hung them on branches, on a branch on that tree that they were sitting under, and they walked away. They went packed their families up and they moved away completely. So they split up over gazelle soup. So there's a tribe down on the plateau now who's, who um, have a different language. They're called the Larim, um, but there are lots of traces of Didinga in their language. So the Larim were the people group who were formerly Didinga. Um, so that just raises one of the, the other the issues is that they're a revenge culture um, wow. and so there's a lot of violence as well in the village. Mm. Um, the alcohol fueled it um, and but yeah in a population of about 3,000 in Didinga, um, in Nagishot sorry, um, the name of the village, that every night there was some injury, someone was macheted or shot or um, 
yeah, just, you know, they, they drink to excess or and then they just bring up old past hurts and then because they're a revenge culture, they, they need the payback for what's been done to them previously and alcohol triggers it. Yeah. Is it, you can tell me I'm wrong, is it possible that your team coming in to serve that community comes under the spirit of rebellion and revenge and disunity and suffers because of that? It's quite possible, yeah. It's quite possible. Mm. And, um, you know, we, we prayed about that even as a team. Yeah. You know, we, you know, we, even though we didn't agree and, you know, sometimes things didn't go well, um, we did pray together every week and mm. we realised that that we needed to do that in order to not allow Satan destroy mm. our ministry through the conflict that was occurring amongst mm. us. Wow. So, yeah, quite possibly. Mm. There, there was, you know, the, the spiritual oppression yeah. as well um, that we all sensed. It was almost palpable. And I, I think I shared in a uh, an email once um, about the spiritual attack that I had experienced. I was um, sleeping in a hut with um, my Didinga sister. I had a, a family that um, adopted me. And um, so, yeah, that's where I first got scabies, you'll know. <laughs> but um, I was sleeping there. It was the first night I went and spent a few nights there. And on the first night, um, I was just sleeping... And I suddenly became aware of this really firm, intense pressure between my shoulder blades in mm. my back. And, um, and suddenly it was, it was a vision. It was in my dream. I, I saw myself being slammed against a mud brick wall with my face turned to the side and this pressure in my back. It was like there was a hand there just pushing like... It was like they, it was just trying to extinguish me, just mm. just push the life out of me. And I, I woke at that point and realised that, you know, this wasn't a dream because I, I realised I was lying on my side, but I couldn't breathe at mm. all, mm. at all. Mm. And I realised, okay, this is not a physical attack. This is not a dream. This is a spiritual attack. And I knew what to do. Just instinctively, I opened my mouth to call out on the name of Jesus, but I, I couldn't breathe. I couldn't take a breath in. I couldn't do anything. Mm. And so I literally just mouthed the name Jesus. Jesus. Mm. Um, and when I mouthed it, the pressure released just a little bit. and But enough for me to take a bit of a breath in. And then I was going to say, whisper, Jesus help. But all I got out was the name Jesus and whoo, it, it disappeared instantly. Mm. There were, I had no fear whatsoever in me. And it was just, for me, it was just a realisation that the spiritual realm there was very unhappy with us being there. Mm. And, um, you know, we, we came in the name of Jesus to bring freedom from sin and um, from everything else. Mm. And... Yeah, they weren't happy. We were praying strategically against the production, the uh, the alcohol brewing. They were making moonshine in the forest, basically, and um, 
Yeah, it was really destroying the community mm. there. And so, as you know, every time I walk through the forest on Sundays, Ellie and I, as we were walking from compound to compound to share the stories, we, as we walked past the the forest, we would just stop and we would pray and mm. ask the Lord to tear down that the production. Mm. You know, we claimed that place for Jesus Christ. So, I'm trusting that God will honour that, mm. and in days years to come that he will shut that down and that whole village town will come to know jesus as mm. their savior and that there would be a thriving church there again mm. yeah amen amen to that um the song that you had along with your powerpoint is called i speak jesus did you know that song before you went to nagashot or have you no, discovered that since you got no, back i discovered it here i love okay. it yeah it's perfect yeah it is absolutely um i think one of the Bridges is um, your name is healer, your name is power, your name is light, and yeah. to hear your story of a very real experience of the power of the name of Jesus, I think is is a wonderful testimony for us all to to lean on. Yeah. Um, what you've shared some of how you saw God at work in your time. I'm going to kind of join a couple of questions together here. Sure. Um, so, which of God's characteristics stood out for you? over the last couple of years in your time in Nagashot and perhaps even since returning and going through the process of, of um, grief and, and mourning and, yeah. and recovery? Yeah. Um, I think his patience. Um, I'm such a work in progress. <laughs> um, and he's so patient with me. Um, you'd think that I would have learned some of these lessons years ago and yet... I find that, you know, I slip back into old behaviours and he's just so patient with me. Um, his loving kindness is something that just draws me to tears every time. Yeah. Um, and his faithfulness, he was so, so faithful. Even though he called us to do something really tough, something that went against the grain in some ways, you know, working with people who just don't get you, don't think like you, um, don't understand you, um, you know, ministering to people who are clearly not interested, just give us what you've got, that's all we want, um, go away. Um, his faithfulness to keep us well and to keep us going, to to maintain a unity in disunity, if that even makes sense. Um, that was all God. It was not us. It was not me. Wow. I love that. His patience and his faithfulness. Yeah, very true. So what lies ahead? You're living with your mum and dad, caring for them at the moment. Mm. So what... what grand dreams and plans do you have for what lies ahead, Maggie? <laughs> I've been asking the Lord over the last year since I've been home to show me what ministry he wants me to do while I'm here in Australia. Mm. And um, he hasn't really made that clear. So I'm beginning to think that maybe the ministry he wants me to focus on is just, you know, loving my parents, you know, you know, loving more deeply than I've ever loved before. Mm. You know, I, my home life, you know, was was very loving. Um, but I also went through rebellious years because I didn't agree with a lot of what my parents said. And we think very, very differently. So going back into a home that reminds me of my childhood hasn't also been easy. But um, again, I feel as though this is a season that... 
He wants me there. Mm. And um, so I'm learning to love at that sacrificial level with them as well, to consider their needs above my own. Um, I'm still looking for work. Mm. I'm really hoping that the interview I had last week will come to something. Um, If not, I've got an interview on Tuesday again for something else. So, um, yeah. Yeah. So I think it will just be focusing on my parents' needs and Mm. whatever God wants to do in that. You know, there's probably some healing that needs to happen there Mm. as well. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Beautiful. Was there anything else that you wanted to share as we close our time together? I just really want to say thank you for your years of faithfulness. Um, in praying for me, supporting me financially, keeping in contact with me. Um, Some of you have emailed me, sent letters. Um, That to me is really precious. um, I can't stress enough how much that encourages, how much that builds us up when we get a note, even just an email or something, to say, we're praying for you, what would you, you know, what else can we do for you? Or, you know, we're with you in this. It it makes an enormous difference. So thank you so much as a church family for, for doing that for me all these years. Yeah, and it's a privilege to support you and to know you and to partner in the gospel with you uh, and to also learn from you about as you share some of your experience. Um, I really appreciate you and I love our conversation with a few phone calls, particularly over the last 12 months since you got back and often oh, just... Oh, even in Africa. Even We did, we did. Yeah. And often we just uh, sit in almost silence marvelling at who God is and what he's like. Yeah, so, it's been precious. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, appreciate you, uh, your friendship and, and what you do for the gospel as well. So can we thank Margie um, for her time? So uh, I was thinking as you shared about um, the person that came to your church when you were about eight and prayed for you, Um, and I want to pray for you shortly, but I wonder if you could actually pray for us as the Horsham Church of Christ, whatever the Lord lays on your heart. So can we stand together? And the worship team, if you want to come back up as well, that'd be great. So let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the bond and unity that we have in Jesus Christ, that we we have you as our Heavenly Father, we have you to guide us, that your Holy Spirit lives within us. I want to thank you for each person here. You brought them here this morning for a reason, Father. And, um, and as that lady prayed so many years, 50 years ago, actually, as she prayed and and asked um, for you to stir the heart of someone within that congregation that I was sitting in all those years years ago, I want to ask, Lord, that if there's anyone here whom your Holy Spirit has been prompting, that you would continue to stir that person's heart, that they would go to someone and say, hey, can you pray for me? I'm not sure where this is going, but would you be praying with me? And if this is of God, you know, let him have his way in my life. 
Lord, I ask that you would help each one of us, whether you call us to cross-cultural ministry or call us to be farmers or call us to be mums and dads or teachers or whatever vocation or pastors and um, supporters, encouragers, carers, Father, that you would use every single life here for your purpose, that each one would be solely dedicated to honouring you with their life, to serving those that you have brought them to serve, and that you would just bless the ministry from this church family as they mix and mingle in Horsham, I pray, Father, that the light of your spirit would shine out of them and that you would draw many who are hurt, many who don't even know you, draw them into your kingdom, give them that um, gift of repentance, Father, and bring them into right relationship with Jesus. And I thank you so much for the commitment of the leadership with this, within the Horsham Church of Christ to, to want to partner with you both here in Horsham and in cross-cultural settings to share the gospel because this is what you've asked us, Lord Jesus. You've asked us to go into all the world and make disciples. Thank you for how that is happening here in Horsham and how that is happening through all the partnerships in other places in the world through this church family. I ask for your blessing upon them that you would continue to give them the vision and the guidance that you have for them. Thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. And Lord, we thank you for Margaret. Thank you that uh, she's completely sold out and devoted to you for her love for you, uh, for her lifelong yes to serve you where you would lead her and guide her. Uh, we pray for breakthrough in the jobs with the interviews that she's had, that there'd be a clear yes from one of those employee, employers, Lord. Thank you for the love that she has for her parents as she continues to discover what it is to love and care and minister to them um, in these years. Lord, thank you for the example that she gives to us. Thank you for the testimonies that she shared We just thank you for Margie and for her heart, for her, for her desire to see your kingdom come and your will being done. Thank you for the privilege we have to partner with her in the sharing of your gospel around the world. I just pray your blessing over Margie that she would know your peace, she continued to know your presence more deeply every day, and that there would be complete uh, healing in spirit, soul, and body that there would be a spirit of unity within her and within the relationships that she has with family and friends and colleagues in the days and the weeks ahead. Thank you, Lord, for this time that we could have together. We pray all these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so thank much, you. Margie. Thank you. I'll take that from you. Can we thank Margie one more time for sharing?